On today's Stuncast, we review the Galileo 7. Spock, Bones, Scotty, and four others are lost on a planet in the middle of a quasar. As Kirk and crew race against the clock to find the away party, Spock struggles with his team's human emotions as giant savages siege the marooned ship. Can Kirk find his lost Spock in time? Will the humans get themselves killed? Is it better to growl loud and throw a big spear? Find out on set podcast to stun! Hello, feeble-minded humans, and welcome to set podcast to stun! The podcast where we explore, explain, and enjoy the Star Trek franchise. I'm Clint the Q, joined by Admiral Corey. Hello, peasants. And Chancellor Emily Gowron. Kaplar. All right, typical. Yeah, typical. A bit too much blood wine today, yeah. Um, well, um, before we start today, I, we just want to do a little social media shout out to our first Twitter follower. Wait, is this legitimately, like, we don't have any other followers at all? This is our first follower. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I should be, like, happy or sad that our first follower is someone that we don't even know. <laughs> our first follower is Manu Intereme. <laughs> Who and, was on Star Trek? Holy come! On. My mom won't even follow us on Twitter. I know none of our friends are following us, but an actual Star Trek Federation member is. <laughs> <laughs> He's on Voyager. He was on Voyager. He was a Borg, right, Clint? Yeah, he, he played Echep on Voyager, and I actually liked him. He was the least annoying of the Borg children that joined after. I, I felt like. They put Seven of Nine on there, and then her momentum waned a little bit, so they injected some children onto it. And he was the only one who really survived, and uh, he was a fun character. So, so we're we're proud and ecstatic to have um, Manu follow us. So I hope we've been saying your name right, and thanks a ton. I don't know how you found us, but but thank you a lot. Proud so and ecstatic, just... the opposite of all of our parents. Yeah. He probably just Googles new Star Trek podcasts all the time because he's excited about what what the new generation's take on TOS is. <laughs> Corey, exactly. wouldn't you, if I was an actor or like if someone was having a podcast about my stupid work, I would be super embarrassed, but also kind of pumped. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If I'd been on that silver screen before. Let's do it. All right. So today we watch the Galileo 7. Here's what happens. So while studying a quasar in a shuttlecraft, Spock, Bones, Scotty, and others crash on a mysterious planet. <laughs> Did you just say Spock, Bones, Scotty? <laughs> yeah. Keep what going. You, just keep going. It's okay. okay carry on. Carry on. <laughs> Spock, Bones, Scotty, and others crash on a mysterious planet. Can the Galileo 7... Get off the planet before Spock's logic gets on everyone's nerves. And oh yeah, before they get killed by giant monsters. This was an episode that I was really excited about because I I felt like it was such a Star Trek episode because they just go on a planet and have an adventure and people die. And like, like uh, I, I, I just thought that the fact that um, 
Scotty was there and had stuff to do was probably my, the highlight of the episode for me. That was for me too. I'm like, Scotty's actually doing something this episode and he's useful. So yeah. I don't All right. see. I don't get why Scotty is like a thing yet because I've seen the TNG where he shows back up and I've seen all the TOS at this point. So I don't get why he's like a favorite yet. So I I'm in suspense for this moment where I fall in love with him. Like you two. It might just be because he, he's the father of techno babble and just like spouting <laughs> off a bunch of like incomprehensible, uh, like technology related stuff. And then he fixes the ship. And I think that just became such a staple later on. But yeah, I don't know. Are I'm you here. saying with, same with bones? Like who, what's so great about these yeah. guys, but are you saying there is no Jordy without Scotty? I think that's what I'm saying. I love Jordy. Cause he's all just like techno babble and show it like, He's techno babble, and then like, look at my cute dimples when I smile. So, all right, so yeah, let's start off um, talking about the characters in this episode. Um, real quick mention: I <laughs> usually Bones is the most annoying person in every episode, but we have a new most annoying person, and that's Galactic High Commissioner Ferris, Captain Clock. <laughs> is he enough? Does, does he play a nut? Wait, what would you call him? Captain Clock, because his job is to keep reminding Kirk that he only has three days left until they have to uh, leave orbit and not look for the rest of the survivors. But then he'll yes. come out. No, he'll no, be like, I'm sorry. Did like, you say three days? I think you meant two days, 45 minutes and 30 seconds. Well, yeah, I get it right. Corey. What I said was oh my two God. days, one hour and 16 minutes. Also, when the the clock runs out, he's like nowhere to be found. He's just like doesn't care anymore. Yeah, we so. actually yeah, that is so true. We never see him again, uh, folks. He, it is he he go. I just want to say he goes out there probably about six times throughout the episode, and he's like, Kirk, I just want to let you know, you only have sixteen hours left before we have to abandon your friends and we go deliver this medical supplies to some fucking planet, New Paris, Ugh, New Paris. <laughs> I laughed so hard when they said, oh, we have to deliver these things to New Paris because they're in the middle of a epidemic or something. And I just want to be like, I'm sorry. Are you talking about the U.S. right now in the middle of Corona? Delightful. Yes, that's what that's what they're talking about. Yeah. Not <laughs> New Paris, but America. He, so. he is a uh, you that man is cut from marble, by the way. He has the most square jaw. He has like a linebacker's <laughs> body. And Clint, you were mentioning that there are some things about in uh, Celebration of Fashion Week. There's some things that you enjoyed about his attire. Uh, yeah. Other than his butt, he also has a great cape that's like goes down half the way through his shoulders. It's fabulous. It's like blue. It's got a nice like silver trim on it. Um, I want to become a uh, Galactic High Commissioner. Just to get one of those capes. I mean, naturally, but I didn't notice his butt. What was going on with his butt, Clint? Was, I don't know. He's got a butt. It was it's a good one, Emily. I mean, okay. It's a linebacker's butt. <laughs> you know how it's, it's solid. Becoming, you know how, like, uh, I don't really keep up with what's going on in men's fashion right now um, <laughs> because I haven't probably bought any clothes for eleven months or so. You haven't. You haven't gone outside in like six months. I really, really hope that Target shirts, like solid color Target shirts and blue jeans are really popular. Um, <laughs> but I would I would really like for us to circle back around on, and this might be low-hanging fruit in terms of Fashion Week, but like capes uh, coming back. 
But did you, if you guys ever played World of Warcraft, you know the capes that you get like when you're level two, and it's just like a triangular little blanket you wear on your back. Um, yeah, I think that something like that would be great because I don't want something that like drags on the floor and gets dirty. But I, I love, I love the idea of having just a little like handkerchief on my back. Yeah, when are capes gonna come back? Let's get that back into fashion. I I like this guy's cape though, right? It was a nice, tasteful, small cape. A, it was like a mini cape. A tasteful cape. I can say, um, so I am a knitter, uh, which will surprise nobody because I'm super cool and I only have cool activities. But uh, knitting, there's like a lot of patterns that are like shawls or mini capes or just things that go around your neck because they're fun to knit. And so the longer that you are in that sort of community, the longer that like a shawl just seems like a totally acceptable choice of wardrobe. I, know, I can make think. you capes and mini capes anytime you want. No, Emily, I, I want to commission something different. Okay, we have a cape, <laughs> right? Which is the back. We have a poncho, which is the back and the front. I want just the front, like a like a bib almost, that I can walk around and wipe my face off after I have some... A hamburger, but or then na- naked from the waist down, right? <laughs> naked from the waist down with socks on. <laughs> it's like those little pieces of fabric that you can like buy. That's like a collar, right? A, and then it like at the nipples, it just kind of tapers out. A Is that dicky, like, what you want? right? Is it? Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, Clint, can you bleep that out? Sorry, this is an un- unrated podcast. You don't have to bleep out any. So yeah, there's commissioner uh, short cape. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, let's talk about the the Galileo Seven, the titular characters of of this episode. I actually love this episode. I feel like I keep derailing it, but I genuinely enjoyed it very much when I was watching it. I just after watching it, I completely forgot all the plot points. Yeah, I enjoyed this episode too. It just was kind of like forgettable. I would say. What do you think, Core? Uh, I really liked it. Yeah, that's what I said at the start. Yeah, were you paying attention? No, I wasn't. Wait, is this? I was being distracted by Emily's foolishness and her Toblerone. Okay, we're through one of the seven. (laughs) Can we get? get I'm sorry, my my teeth just fell out spontaneously. Wait, I think this is the only the second episode of all time that we've all agreed on what we think about it. The first one we was lost to the eons. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right, I'm taking. I'm taking the reins here. So the reason I think that this episode is really great is because uh, Spock is the, it's a Spock episode. He is one of the seven. He is uh, amazing in this episode. Uh, there's Boma, who is a new person um, on uh, the Enterprise. And I don't think we actually ever see him again. Uh, there's Giatano, Yeoman Mears, and Latimer. So you might notice that most of those people you've never heard of before uh, and one of them's gonna die, but we'll uh, we'll let you decide which one it's going to be. Yes. Considering yes. that have... in that list we don't know any of those people, the fact that only one of them dies, one of them is a black dude, one of them is, as Clint says, ethnicity unknown, and one of them is a woman. That's pretty. It's a pretty good survival rate. That's better than like any horror movie. Oh, and Scotty, and Scotty. Sorry. Well, Scotty and Bones Scotty. and Spock. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Bowman, Bowman definitely beat the, like, black man horror curve, right? Where they get killed off very, very frequently in horror movies. I actually loved Boma. I wrote Boomer because I'm stupid. But I actually loved Boomer Boma as a one-off character. 
Like, I felt like he had just the right amount of personality that he would be enjoyable for this hour, but he wouldn't so overwhelm the regular characters that I would miss him at the end of this episode. Corey, do you want to take us through the story a little bit? Yeah, sure. So, um, Commissioner Shortcape has the uh, the MacGuffin in this episode, and that's the... I don't know if MacGuffin's the right term, but they have to go deliver some medical supplies to New Paris... Um, but first, Kirk wants to investigate a quasar because he says that he's his protocol is he has to investigate every quasar that they pass. So he sends seven crew members with Spock in the lead on a shuttle craft to go investigate this quasar. While they are investigating, there is an anomaly, surprise, surprise, that renders the uh, shuttlecraft inoperable. And it, it makes all the sensors on both the shuttlecraft and the Enterprise just all broken and the shuttlecraft disappears as it gets sucked into the quasar and crash lands on a type m oxygen rich planet in the middle of the quasar the only um class m planet anywhere near around that's very convenient just a little bit of mercury in the air just enough to just give enough it some like you don't want to go yeah. on summer vacation there but also this class m this is the first time we've seen it but they carry class m through all the star treks that i've seen like DS9 and TNG and all of them are super into the class M and then you'll have class other things that we can't go to. I was wondering, is this the first time we ever hear class M? I feel like there were maybe one other time. No, I think this is the first time. I mean, I haven't Googled it, but from my own brain, which uh, maybe it's wrong, but. It seems though, like the way Uhura says it, it seems like the first time they're introducing it. Because usually when you introduce something at television, you know, like she explains it. Yeah. Class M, oxygen rich, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then they just pick that up. But that's not the case. They just made it up. So, so yeah. Corey, anyway, continue with the plot after our derailment. Uh, I was trying to look up if Class M came just from Star Trek, and it looks like, yes, it does. But yeah. I only got to the first two yeah. Google links, and I didn't click on anything, so that's <laughs> how I do most of my research in college and in this podcast. So they uh, During the episode itself. They, yes. they, uh, so they, they, they crash land on the planet. Um, they're all reeling inside of the ship after the, the, the crash. They're all in different poses, which I kind of love. Like one guy's grasping his wrist, wrist the lady's like grasping her head, and they're all just uh, kind of spinning around. But they're all fine. And if only they had seat, they've invented seatbelts. Yeah, they didn't have seatbelts. It was it, this ship Welcome was like to a... our segment, uh, Starfleet and OSHA violations. Oh man, they're really piling up though. The the uh the ship this the shuttlecraft itself the Galileo, it's kind of it was kind of cool to see because it was almost like a Greyhound bus because there was just a ton of seats in the back and then there was where the driver sits and it's yeah. it's different than like the TNG Voyager kind of shuttlecrafts where they're very clean it's probably just room for like two or three people in them much smaller this one was like not even for like cargo or freight because there's no other space really it was just a place for people to sit and hang out. Um, there was some cargo in the back. They said it was 24 feet long, I believe. While they're on the planet, they have to try and fix the ship. They are going to run into a couple of, let's just say, domestic issues on the planet. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, Kirk is trying to fix the um, the ship, the, the Enterprise, so that they can find the survivors and get to New Paris because uh, the commissioner is constantly reminding him that he needs to get going. In fact, the commissioner wants Kirk to go right now, but Kirk reminds him that he still has a couple of days before they need to be uh, in New Paris. 
Well, I think I think they start out by saying something like the we need to get to New Paris ASAP because there's a plague or a pandemic and we have the medicine or or there's so they they make the stakes more than just the commissioner being pissed at kirk but they're like rendezvousing with a shuttle that's why they also have time like if they get there early like it's not going to help things that's why they can just kind of fart around for yeah so they have some leeway but not endless leeway uh yeah and that's what happens and it's basically just like a character driven episode so the whole tension is about kirk Kirk's pull to rescue his friends versus Kirk's pull to duty. But then we are also pairing that with Spock as an authority figure and the difficulties that ensue. Yeah, and so that's like the driving part of the episode is Spock having a bunch of friction with a bunch of humans that demonstrably through all these past episodes do not like either Spock or they don't like Vulcans. And he has to just deal with their like blatant insubordination. Um, and this is very, very similar to the TNG episode where uh, Tasha Yar's evil child Romulan has, <laughs> is trying to invade the Federation on uh, Romulan ships. And they uh, the, the, the Federation armada creates like a big minefield and Data requests to be the captain of one of the ships and and Picard lets him and data has a bunch of it's, it's the B plot of that episode, but data has a bunch of friction against the, yeah. the first officer on that ship. The first officer very, very, very who's like, you're an Android. We shouldn't do this. Yeah. I actually though, I love this. This was another episode where I think we said it about the Shakespeare one where it, this is an episode where they don't assume the audience is stupid. Like the tension between Spock and the other people that are marooned on the island, everybody has good points and everybody is relatable. I found all the anti-Vulcan logic annoying. Like I thought everyone was so like, emotional and anti-logical to the point of being stupid i actually love the interplay between logic and emotion like something i tell my students all the time is like yeah you know you've been taught in school that logic is the most important thing but the reality is that we don't make choices through logic we make choices through emotion and we will try to find logic to justify our emotions. It'd probably be good to set up what some of these conflicts are that were between Spock and the rest of the crew. The The very, very first conflict that they have is the ship has crashed. Scotty realizes that the battery is basically drained. They might have enough fuel to get into orbit to signal for help because the Enterprise can't currently find them. Um, but one of the first issues that comes up is they are like a couple of hundred pounds overweight, so they are going to have to drop some weight and they can get rid of some equipment, but they're probably going to have to get rid of three crew members, keep three, three crew members down on the planet to, uh, to, to alleviate that issue. So one of the first issues that comes up as Spock being a commander is which one of these crew members do we drop? Like, who are we, who are we going to drop? And the humans, and I just want to say, like, if we're looking at this from like an, anthropological point of view (laughs) how do humans behave and how do vulcans behave i i personally thought that the humans were a little bit childish and immature Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. like the instant spock is like we're probably gonna have to leave three people behind some of the humans were like uh so you're gonna decide who does that how are we gonna draw lots 
and and I was thinking like you guys are in Starfleet, right? Like you guys could have died coming on the way, you know, crash landing here and you all survived and Spock's trying to make the best decision that he can right now, but they grow extremely hostile to the idea of leaving anybody behind. Well, but this is something that bothers that... me because they if they get the shuttle up, Starfleet can find them, the Enterprise can find them, and then you could find the people down on the planet. It's not like it's a death sentence at that See, moment. I, I have the exact That's what I've been thought. saying. Like, they're so anti-logic. They're being stupid and, like, irrational to the point of just being idiotic children who are, like, whining the whole time. So that's why I was getting annoyed. I was also a little annoyed at Spock a lot because there, there were some times where Scotty's just like, oh, man, what a mess. And then Spock is like, oh, you know, descriptions of our current situation won't mend broken circuits. It's like, just give him a second. Just let him say one thing, you know, without like jumping on his back about being emotional or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And it, and it continues. The The second conflict that Spock has with the survivors is they uh, they find out that there are there's a species living on this planet mm-hmm. of giant bear <laughs> Neanderthals um, <laughs> at and they, uh, they're the first time we run into them. It's when Spock sends two of the crew members out to go, like, just search around the planet a little bit, and one of them gets killed by a gigantic flying spear. And when I say gigantic, I mean gigantic. This it's is like, like a, they like a, threw a tree. <laughs> yeah, it's like an aspen pole, um, and uh, it, it, it hits this guy in the back, and he falls to his death, and. I, I was I, reading wait, that. I just I don't want to interrupt you, but I do just want to say they <laughs> throw a tree and it's not like a tree impales this guy. The tree kind of like glances off of him and he's like and dies. <laughs> the the studio did not want to see a man get hit by a spear, plummet to his death, and then the camera shows the spear sticking out of this man. So you guys might have noticed a very, very thick layer of fog on the bottom <laughs> third of the screen while they oh, are yeah. standing over this guy. That was the studio that was like, we don't want to see a dead person with a spear in them. Uh, um, and, I mean, and, uh, to be fair, I don't want to see a dead person with a spear in them. Did you did you notice the time that a spear hit one of the rocks and a bunch of styrofoam, <laughs> it like chipped off some styrofoam? I don't know how that would happen. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's right. wood on stone. Seems like that wouldn't happen. It's crazy. So Spock shows up and he's like, oh, wow, this spear is crazy. Look at the uh, intricate designs in it. And he doesn't say anything about the man that's dead in front of him. And it really pisses off the humans. And they're like, we're just going to carry him back unless you want to help Spock. Um, and, and he offers to help, but they refuse his help. And they're being insubordinate the entire time. So they go back and Spock has them... Like his his plan is that he's going to just try and scare them away with phasers, and so they he's like you shoot ten o'clock and you shoot eight o'clock and we'll just scare them away, and then um, they uh, they do so and the, the the Neanderthals stop and you think that they're all gone and whatever, but then Spock leaves one of the guys behind to guard the valley. I guess did you guys think that that was crazy? I mean, that makes sense in a way. Like, you need a lookout and a guard. And I thought that guy was a little bit bitchy about it. Like, you know, Spock is like, hey, you stay here and guard the valley. Like, that makes sense to me that you you have to have some sort of guard and lookout to make sure you guys aren't just going to get killed. But, I mean, yeah, he's offed pretty, pretty quickly after he's given that assignment, though. But when they were talking about leaving three people, I'm like, hey, maybe they'll get lucky and three people will die. And that pretty much happened. <laughs> that is that is exactly what happened. 
and they were able to like throw off some like extra equipment to like make up for the the third person that they weren't leaving behind so the last big thing that happens in terms of the the friction that happens between them all is that they take the dead body back of the guy who was hiding out and guarding the valley and they take him back to the galileo shuttlecraft and they want to do a burial on him while there are these monsters out around the shuttle and spock's like i'm not gonna do that like that's crazy we're in such a dangerous situation right now but these humans insist on burying this guy you know digging out a six foot grave and and dropping him in there and then they get mad that spock doesn't want to like have services at the same time and to like say anything yeah yeah and to me i was thinking like this is such a ridiculous like adherence to a human ritual you know Mm -hmm. like yeah. Like a Ferengi would be like, oh, before I do a deal, we always have to count the money. You know, this is like in my DNA. I have to do this. And you're like, OK, fine, we'll we'll do this. Um, but in, like in this case, it was such an emergency situation that like the humans are like, I know we're under attack and that we're about to all die, but we have to do this ritual right now. And Spock, like his alien brains just going, why are we doing this? I don't understand. But I thought he did a very good job of of trying to understand the humans, giving them the things that they wanted all the while, kind of just voicing that he thought a lot of the things that they were doing was crazy. Oh, I had the, like, I 100% agree with y'all about the conflict, but I absolutely disagree about, like, who you are on the side of. Like, in war literature, the fact that your buddies' bodies get left behind is such a problem. And, like, the brutalization of corpses in wartime, or even just, like, serial killers that brutalize a corpse after they're dead like you think it wouldn't matter but it it absolutely does and i i guess i'd go with that but they were just being dicks to him even before all that started yeah. they were going against every single order and every single idea that he had uh they, they, they were, were they were horrible to him they were hardcore like roasting him like if any of anyone has watched retail it's basically like how you talk about your manager when your manager's not around I don't. It, it just like I said, they just seemed like so emotional to the point of just being idiotic. It just really bugged me. Well, but and and I actually I liked that they were so emotional and intense. Like they're essentially crash landed on a planet and they think they might be cast away and live there forever. I mean, didn't Tom Hanks win an Oscar for playing this by himself? Uh, excuse me, this is Commissioner Corey. Uh, you only have twenty <laughs> minutes left to finish this episode. I think we should probably uh, talk about how they get out of this sticky situation. I I just want to talk a little bit more about how much I like the aliens. I liked how they were big and free. Uh, Corey put up a good picture <laughs> that we'll put up on social media, but I like them. I, I have so many questions, though, about how they live because they're supposed to be giants, right? And they have spears. They have huge spears, right? But I have not seen any plant or animal life on this planet so how do they get food how did they get enough food to grow so big right and you don't see any of this so i'm just i have so many questions they eat shuttlecrafts clint that's how they get that yeah, apparently they lure them in <laughs> I love... they crack them open with a with a big old rock and eat the juicy insides yeah i love the part where the neanderthal comes up to the shuttlecraft and just takes a rock and just starts smashing the shuttlecraft with the rock and then I showed you guys the toy that I found that because apparently there's a toy for every single scene that's ever existed in TOS. And there's a toy of a gigantic Neanderthal monster hitting the shuttlecraft with a rock. Um, I wanted to point out that the, 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 the Neanderthals, we never actually see their face. We only see their back 
and that's because the studio deemed that their faces were too scary. But we, we're not scared, and we're not scared to, to buck Paramount and uh, kind of change the narrative. So we're going to actually show photos of what these these creepy crawlies looked like. See, oh, in so 2021, brave. they're too racist, not too scary. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can subscribe, uh, ascribe any sort of race you want to them, Emily, and hate that race however you like. So, yeah, let's talk about the resolution. Why don't you, uh, why don't you kick us off there, Core? They are able to get the ship charged. Now, here is their, their issue is that they can charge the ship's batteries. But in order to do that, they're going to have to give up their phasers, which are the only defense they have. I should mention that up to this point, Spock does not want to use these phasers against the, the, the natives of this planet. Because in his mind, they are in their 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 barrio right like they are the ones that crash landed on this planet why are they suddenly going to start shooting everything that's attacking them yeah and life is sacred to to spock he says that Earthmen have a disregard for life and yeah yet... i thought that was a cool scene because like the humans <laughs> yeah. are like let's just kill them all and spock's like no we're not gonna do that <laughs> so they decide that they're gonna take all the phasers they're gonna drain them and and scotty's going to put that power inside of the shuttlecraft so that they can at least get into orbit they're not gonna last in orbit for very long probably just a couple of loops around and then they can do a, a soft crash landing back on the planet to continue surviving so they do that they uh the the burial is actually interrupted while they're out there and i'd like to think spock was just about to start like a really boring 30 minute sermon <laughs> we are gathered and- here today uh, yeah. and the, uh, that, yeah, they, they take off, they get into orbit. The enterprise has already left though, because the commissioner has bullied them into, into leaving. But smartly Kirk's like, let's just move at like impulse power for a little bit before the commissioner notices. Dragging his feet. Dragging his feet. I forgot what the name of the speed was. I think it was normal. Space. It was like space normal. Space I think that's normal. what he called yeah. it. I think so, it yeah. was though. It was actually like a good tension because it was sort of like we have to get vaccines or whatever to the planet. But I, I thought it was a genuine conflict for Kirk of like this planet and this mission that he has to take care of them. And the commissioner is here versus his friends, his crewmates, as he calls them, this mission to explore other life forms it, i i yeah. thought it was actually a, a genuinely stressful high stakes b plot loved it no it was a good ticking clock yeah and, and i don't want to sure. i don't want to be too critical of of the plot here because it was, it was a fun star trek episode people trying yeah. to survive was while Kirk was trying to find them um but i was thinking like why don't they just go back when they're done like we've already talked about that why don't they just like leave the other shuttlecraft and like 30 crew members down on the planet and set up a base to begin exploring the planet and then they'll come back later uh, with the Enterprise and maybe another ship and more supplies to find everybody. But it was it was basically like one or the other. We leave or we find them. Well, and as it turns out, they would all be killed if they stayed there that long. I, I also yeah. like the scene where the, the guy is reporting in on the television, you know, the little comm, whatever. And he's all like scraped up, <laughs> you know, and he's like, two people died. One person, one guy just took a spear to the chest. We didn't even see it coming. This is like one of the things that this episode really highlights a weird flaw in the Star Trek universe and maybe an over-reliance on cell phones would get us there. But like there's no stable messaging system like this shipwreck shuttle, whatever. They could have just sent up a flare, like an electronic flare, a message that's like, help us from here, pick us up from here. And they don't do that. Or like the Enterprise could have just like sent 
essentially an email that's like, hey, whenever you get a signal, we're going to go drop off this medicine and come back. But they they couldn't do that because there's ions everywhere. But there's... That's why they couldn't... But like... Th- they couldn't send any messages. They couldn't do anything because there was an ion store and, and everything was all scrambled. But throughout the Star Trek universe, there's never a moment where they have like a stable way to check in on messages. You have... You're... you're the fucking Enterprise just like Morse code some shit into the rocks near where these people land. What? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Just like there should be some more physical way or like write a message on a piece they'll, of metal just, and put the metal take, on the surface. I don't know. There's just like this weird way where like why can't they send a stable message? They should. They should. They should have a, a thing of wire that they have from the Enterprise to the shuttle whenever they. They should have a series of one. tin cans that they stream yeah. through the atmosphere. Shouting I mean, each one. There's that scene where the Enterprise is flying over the planet looking for the survivors, and they they look down with binoculars and they see Spock <laughs> making a "Help me" out of human bodies in the sand. I mean, honestly, that would be a better, more organized communication system than what they actually have so let's get back to the how they get out of it they uh, while they're in orbit spock realizes that the enterprise is probably not going to find them because they've already the enterprise has already left so he decides to flip a switch that just blows all of their energy at once and they streak across the orbit sulu picks up this insane um like uh, like a, a ring around the planet it's like a plasma ring and so they're able to go back and they rescue them it's the kind of thing where the the, the shuttlecraft is actually burning up in the atmosphere because they have no more power left and while they are just roasting to death and mccoy's like oh, i even forgot his little throwaway line he's like looks like you finally made an illogical decision and the, and i'm glad i could live to see this um they they all get beamed aboard at the last second of course and then Kirk hears that there are five members, well, there were seven members left, and he probably correctly assumes that either some of them are dead, but he doesn't ask about it, and I kind of like that, because he's like, okay, let's go, let's get to New Paris, <laughs> and then they zoom away, and then the very last scene is everyone just shitting on Spock for I making know. this decision to do this uh, this brash move that was illogical, but the way he frames it, he's like, it wasn't illogical, it was the last option that I had. I wasn't going to do it in the uh, initially, but I saw that they weren't going to detect us. But they just, the, the episode ends with the, and they all laugh, while Spock yeah. just like uh-huh. physically looks and around. And they all and I just, laugh. I wish every episode of Star Trek ended with, and they all laugh. And it's the kind of laugh that I'd like to simulate right now on this podcast, if we can. <laughs> and I just want to show everyone how uncomfortable it is, okay? Well, Clint, that's why you'll never make Admiral credits. <laughs> 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 it's uh it's hard to listen to sometimes it's it's i i feel like there's a lot more episodes that end like this where people they're just making fun of spock for for being vulcan and i think this is like a textbook case of like a hostile work environment it's the laugh of a society that does not acknowledge feelings and instead just gets drunk and bullies people one behind the scenes thing i forgot to mention was that while that neanderthal is bashing on the shuttle with a rock scotty's going to try and electricize the hull of the shuttlecraft because apparently that's something you can do with a switch and that was a fun part and uh james duhan actually lost his his finger shut up 
during oh. D-Day. He was in the D-Day invasion. And Whoa, he was always uh-huh. really self-conscious about that. And he never wanted it to be shown on camera, his, his missing finger. So actually in that scene, you can see that he's wearing these insulated gloves. But the, yeah. middle, the middle finger's all floppy on the glove if you look oh. back on it. I thought you were, when you started that, I thought you were going to say that he lost his middle finger filming the scene. And I was like, I know. no. <laughs> it got it got shot off by a, a styrofoam spear. There's one more thing I want to talk about, and that is the god-awful CGI that was in this episode. <laughs> some of it was okay, I... but some of, it, some of it wasn't better than what they already did. I was, I was looking at some side-by-side comparisons. And the part, I mean, it's really dated because it's like 10 year, years old right now, right? And it also, the CGI, they did it in 2010. Yeah. They remastered everything. So, it, it one, it wasn't done with like a ton of money. And then now it's 10 years old. So, it doesn't look great anymore. Um, but the shuttle, the scene of the shuttle actually leaving, the one that they did with the 60s, I actually liked it. I thought that looked pretty good. Yeah, for I sure. I think you for should sure. put and- some side-by-sides on our Instagram because up to this episode i felt like the remasters were tastefully done but this is one where i was like oh god you just painted all over the whole thing this is completely different yeah there are a ton of special effects in this episode this is the most special effects i've ever seen in an episode yeah there were entire scenes that were just cgi like when they are blasting around the orbit with their plasma trail like that that actually looked pretty cool when they are when the galileo is leaving the enterprise for the first time that scene looks like something out of a out of a computer game from the mid 90s it is really 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 bad i wrote a note about that exact scene as well that is just way over the top cgi yeah it was like i was watching mist or riven there for a second um (laughs) that I wanted to invite you guys to watch a short little documentary that was put out by the people that did the remastering. It's on Facebook, but it's uh it's like 20 minutes long and they just talk about their uh their 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 philosophy behind the whole remastering thing cuz they're like we wanted to stay true to the material, but we wanted to give this to a new generation of people watching the show. And there were side-by-sides like just just in terms of the general footage itself, they upped the contrast so it looks a little bit more movie-like and not so light and grainy. They fixed a lot of stra- scratches and strains and spills that were on the um the the the, the raw foot footage that they had. Um, and then they decided to put in some CGI and they did the music too. They, they brought in a new orchestra and they redid the music. So, you know, they, Oh, interesting. They, they, well, they really did a lot of work. if you think about it in the nineties and early two thousands, remastering was the way to quote unquote reboot something. Like now it's so much more relatively cheap to reboot a series. But you have to also remember like the Lucas mania of taking old, footage and just redoing it to the point where it gets it gets like gross like watching any of it changes the plot point like the moss eisley scenes you just see these like lizard cgi monsters walking around while everybody else is in their 70s practical effects like it takes you out of it and there's even some like scenes of like the 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 town itself on the horizon and it just doesn't look very good it's 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 hard to watch uh and i think the best way that to do cgi is the way that like lord of the rings did it where if you're going to do cgi it works best as a static image or something that's in the background or if you want to make like a a city in the background that you know doesn't move it works really really well and it looks pretty and they do that with planets 
and the planets look beautiful in this remaster. Yeah, I agree with you. The planets look beautiful. I think the reason Lord of the Rings works is that they actually are doing a lot of miniatures and then the actors and they use CGI to cut these scenes together. So they use CGI to just smooth things instead of to create things whole cloth. And the the creating things whole cloth, like you point out with the people walking around is what never holds up. But I like the uh, the green quasar effect that they had. Didn't you guys, did you guys like that? Eh. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought any of the static images looked good. Um, they were saying in this documentary that when they went to remaster the scenes, they noticed that there were only about 10 to 12 stock footages of, of the Enterprise like oh, uh-huh. passing yeah. by and it was and, and they huh. always reuse them for every episode and mm-hmm. i can see why they changed that because i bet that that would get really annoying after a while i i know that tos got in some trouble for using like the same corridor scenes all the time like just the same exact corridor and like a lot of action happens in a lot of different episodes in that same corridor shot but they made it so like oh we're gonna have it so the camera's gonna be above the ship if uh if the enterprise is in a sticky situation or below the ship if you know the enterprise is doing something heroic instead of just this flat middle shot that was in every single episode in the 60s there's so there's also more elements like you see the enterprise up against the green quasar and it used to be like just the enterprise and then just the quasar so it's nice that it kind of brings everything together a little bit and then another just quick note about the shuttlecraft. I loved the font that they used for the names. It was like this red <laughs> kind of like handwritten font, you know, for like Galileo. I just thought that was excellent. I think a lot of what Corey and Clint, you're both speaking to is this, the, the cost of making one shot just goes down and down and down and down. And that's why people love practical effects in 80s movies, because that that doesn't really age well, and like Star Wars, the practical, they did so much work back in the day. The practical effects and the, just the special effects in Star Wars look really great. And I really didn't think they need to be messed with. I think it's all right just to have something, right. you know, exist in the 70s or, or, or the 60s. And, and I think, too, just good CG, good special effects are planned, not added later. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. And... You know, I will say this is the first episode where the retouch has felt uh, very obvious, like obvious to the point of being like, whoa, this was redone in the 90s. And so I think maybe that speaks to the special effects being subordinate to writing and plot. Clint, I don't know why you have to be such a hypocrite, though. What what am I a hypocrite about? About putting in like special effects after the fact. Like the voice that people hear when we record is not your voice. Your voice is <laughs> about 30, 30 times higher and we all know that you lower it to sound like you went through puberty. I don't know what you're talking <clears throat> I don't know what you're talking about, Corey. <laughs> this is you guys Clint beats Corey and I so that we don't tell his secret. Save us, please help. Hey, uh, you guys just earned yourselves an extra happen, uh, extra helping of belt tonight. Don't tempt me with a good time. <laughs> we're we're busted back to engineering. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, that was a good discussion, and I think we will leave this episode here. So, thanks everyone for listening. 
And until we see you next time, keep on trekking.